Hi there, my name is Jared. I've recently spent time with Peter and Kalyani Laurie, furthering my understanding of non-duality in an effort to wake up from the delusion of a limited sense of self. I highly recommend their teachings, and I especially recommend their deep immersion program if you get a chance to do that. You can find out more about them and their teachings at www.nonduality.com.au. In this episode, I talk to Peter about the experience of non-duality, the assumed separation of self, how to spatially investigate the sense of self, the difference between thinking and knowing, the nature of non-conceptual awareness, being with everything as it is, habits of mind, and more. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, I've been interested in non-duality for about four months, and I've been quite obsessively trying to understand the sort of, I don't know what you call it, the approach, um, because it rings deeply within me, like a real intuition that this is a, that this is, this is it. I've looked into various other meditation and contemplative practices like Vipassana, for example, um, mindfulness, but they didn't really sort of have the same resonance. Um, actually, I might start with this question, which is, why why do you think this has um, an intuitive feel for me and, and a lot of other people? Non-duality is so direct. It goes to the core, to the essence. And it, if you just look at the words themselves, non-dual, non-duality. What's it pointing to? It's pointing to not to. Because we tend to frame this world dualistically in pairs of opposites, up, down, summer, winter, here, there, man, woman, light, dark. And non-duality cuts through that. Not two, non-separate, no separation. Attempting to describe what we're pointing to is both incredibly complex and so obvious that anyone misses it. Just think about it, not two. We actually experience that many, many times every day. As simple as a really deep conversation where you're both so connected and so involved in the conversation, there is not two. There is only the flow of the conversation. Or a sports team, whether we're talking about cricket or football, where the team becomes so connected, there's not two. There's simply the flow of the game. And players later report, attempting to describe what happened as being in the zone. All musicians talk about those wonderful moments when they're in the groove. When it drops, they're no longer separate. It's not two. So we're talking about something which is known to each and every one of us, something that we taste every day. And it's 
people often look back on those peak experiences and wonder, how can I get back there? And of course, that in itself is the issue. Because it's not too. It's not, there's no going back to there because there's no here or there. It always simply is. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's those experiences of non-duality that I've had that have made this resonate with me. Um, But, okay, so there's non-duality in the form of binary opposites, like up and down, black and white, here and there, uh, good and bad. No, that's duality. Sorry, duality. Yeah. So binary opposites. But then... There's another way to approach uh, non-duality, which is self and other. Mm-hmm. And that's more of an ex- experiential thing, right? Mm. And again, not two. This assumes separation of self and other. Of being a, that, that there is a separate self. Yeah. And... Those assumptions become very fuzzy when you really investigate. And that's the thing about non-dual practice. It's practice. It's very experiential. Right. It's not, a, it's not a belief system. What it offers are some practical pointers, and if you follow those pointers, you discover for yourself what has been talked about. It's essential that everyone does their own homework. And, and how, can we, how can we arrive at this understanding that, that there is no self and there is no other? Is, is that a, a practice that we do or is it an understanding, experiential understanding? Well, the encouragement would be to investigate for yourself. Mm-hmm. For example, this assume me, this point of view, this reference point, this separate self, I would encourage you to actually look for it. Right. And one way of doing that is a very practical spatial investigation. That is, just closing your eyes and going in for a moment and looking. And people look in different places. Some people look up in the head because mm-hmm. they assume the me is there. Mm-hmm. And some people look in the heart looking for this me. And the, the, the encouragement is to actually really look with some rigour mm. and go inside and just really look and keep looking and keep looking. Mm-hmm. So if you do that right now, what do you find? All I find are sensations. Mm. And if you go into those sensations and really look, look for this core, this essence... It's me. Track those sensations and go right into them. What do you find? I find a a very distant fearfulness. Okay, that's interesting. So this fearfulness, what you'd call fearfulness, this sensation, which you were naming as that, mm. where is it located right now? It's I, I don't think I could locate it. Well, have a look. Don't assume anything. You've named it as a distant fearfulness. Go and have a look where that sensation is emanating from. Where is it located? Mm. 
I'd say it's in my upper chest then. Okay, so go right there and attempt to pinpoint precisely exactly the core, the location of that sensation, that fearfulness. What's happening now? Well, it's sort of, it phases in and out and it's very light, but I'd say it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's around my heart space actually. Okay, well, then refine your investigation and go into the heart space. And go right into the heart of it. Pinpoint precisely. Your absolute focus point. What's happening now? Well, it's dissipating. Yeah. And see, this is the funny thing. Nothing stands up to investigation. When you actually investigate with some rigour mm. and focus, spontaneous dissolution happens. Mm. And here's the funny thing. This assumed me that seems so important mm. actually is unlocatable. Yeah. So one of the things, rather than saying, taking a slogan, there's no me, mm. we invite people to actually do their homework, have a look for yourself. Yeah. And if you investigate in the lines that we've just suggested, what, is, what arises very quickly is there is no me that can be located. And in the investigation of the, itself, dissolution spontaneously happens. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a tenacious belief that we have. Sure. Then, of course, because it is reinforced and reinforced throughout our lives. You are, you're a me, you're a somebody, you're a name and a form. Mm. And that's simply a whole lot of assumptions. Investigate for yourself. So do you think it would be a good practice then to, whenever you get that sensation of me, in whatever form it is, to... Mm investigate it like we just did well to keep doing it until you actually know for yourself right that there isn't a me okay. with any independent separate existence okay and see there's an, a useful distinction here the difference between thinking and knowing now mm. uh, we think a lot of things and we also know things mm. like right now if I to ask you, is it daytime or nighttime? You know the answer. Yeah. You don't have to think about it. Oh, let me see. You don't have to figure it out. There's a knowing. Yeah. It's daytime or it's nighttime. Or like when you meet someone you haven't seen for years, there's a recognition, a knowing. Yeah. Then the thinking kicks in, oh, hang on, where did I know this person? Was it at a previous work or was it at university or was it at school? Or are they a friend of so-and-so? So the knowing, that recognition is immediate. And the thinking, the supporting machinery kicks up afterwards to attempt to make sense of the knowing. So non-dual practice points to that knowing, that innate knowing. Mm. It, it reminds you know what it reminds me of. It reminds me of a, a child who's who believes there's a monster in the cupboard, and they'll go and look, 
and it's not there. And they'll still have a bit of a belief that it's there and they'll mm. need to look again and they'll need to look again until they're finally convinced the heart's not there. Mm. Is that a good analogy? Beautiful, no, absolutely. Because there are, there are so many assumptions. There's a wonderful old Irish saying about everyone has a demon that follows them through their life. Yeah. And it's always there, just out of awareness. Yeah. Until one day they suddenly turn and look at it directly in the face and then it disappears forever. Yeah. So the investigations that are encouraged here are ones that actually help you to see for yourself, to know. Because that, that knowing is innate. Mm. It's like right now, you can hear the fridge in the background. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and you knew it was a fridge. Yeah. Yeah. And in, that innate intelligence that we are has extraordinary capacities to recognise, to understand. So, what happens if you continually look for the self, or you come to that point where you? realize that the self is just a sensation passing through or whatever it is. What, what, what happens to your experience? Well, we already know the answer to that. Whenever you're simply present in here, mm. everyone, everyone tastes that. Mm -hmm. Einstein used to say, the rational mind is a wonderful servant mm. and the intuitive mind is a sacred gift. Mm. And we've created a world that honours the servant and has, and has forgotten the gift. So we're talking about reclaiming that gift, recognising that innate nature, that sacred gift, that intuitive wisdom that we are. And what we're really pointing to is this presence, this wakefulness. It's actually so simple. There's an old saying, what you're looking for is looking. Mm. So what we're pointing to is this presence, this isness here. Because if I was to ask you uh, to go back five years, and were you there? Yeah. Of course. And if you go back another five years, were you there? Yeah. Of course. Now, while the, the body image, the thoughts, the ideas, the beliefs, the appearance, the very clothes you're wearing, while many, many things change, mm. that presence, that wakefulness that everything appears on is simply here, mm. always here. And you don't have to do anything to get here. You are here. Mm. Yeah. How can we, I should say, one of the things that I found extremely helpful was to ask myself a simple question like, am I awake mm. or am I aware? Yeah. yeah. And then a sort of a reflection would happen where I would become aware of being aware. Mm. 
Is that what presence is, being aware of being aware? Ah, well, it's even deeper than that. It's prior to that awareness. There's a, um, a beautiful ancient description which um, uses five pairs of words. Non-conceptual, ever-fresh, presence awareness. Just this, nothing else. And you take the first two, non-conceptual. Mm, okay. Now, everything is conceptual. Every thought, every image, every idea. So this whole world is conceptual world we live in. So we're talking about we're talking about non-conceptual. That is prior to conceptualizing. That is uncreated, unborn, unimagined. We often use images like sky-like awareness or space-like awareness to point to this non-conceptual presence that all concepts arise out of. And the second pairing, ever fresh, ever, forever and ever and ever, always happening, fresh, mm. new. Mm. And you pair ever fresh. Mm. It's pointing to that extraordinary insight that everything is always arising for the first time. Mm. Two and a half thousand years ago, Heraclitus, the Greek philosopher, said, no one can ever, ever enter the same river twice. Mm. It's always fresh. Yeah. It's always new. Yeah. Uh, nothing is ever repeated. And we selectively delete those subtle differences to pretend it's, it's, it's repeated. It never is. Mm. Every snowflake is unique. Mm. Every iris pattern is unique. Yeah. Every fingerprint is unique. Every moment is always new, always happening freshly, mm. always arising. Non-conceptual, prior to conceptualizing, always fresh. Mm. Presence awareness. When someone we say someone has presence, they are really here. And awareness is wakefulness, knowing. Your question to yourself, am I awake? Am I aware? Of course. Mm. That wakefulness is always here. Yeah. So non-conceptual, ever-fresh presence awareness. And then to make it very clear, they say, just this, nothing else. Mm. So that's what we're pointing to, that presence, mm. that wakefulness, which is always here. And you don't have to do anything to get it. You are it. Mm. Why, why do we, why do we uh, step out of it? Well, you don't. How can you step out of it? <laughs> why do we believe we step out of it? Because we are paying attention to the separation. Right. Rather than the unicity. Yeah. Is it because we believe we step out of it because there'll be some form of suffering, a feeling, an emotion, a negative thought? And it pushes us towards the other or an object or something like that. Is it because we have some belief that there's something wrong with reality? Yeah, all of those things. And when you really look at it, 
one of the one of the the keys underneath all that is this se- is this wanting to separate to separate mm. we say it's always already here yeah so how do you get to here you don't you are yeah and there are things we don't like things that we think are wrong so we want to get away from them how much of being present or not being present relies upon that idea that something is wrong because the more that i sort of come to believe that everything that 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 it is just um, perfectly as it is, even the tragedies or even the mm. whatever's going on, the more that I accept that, uh, I guess, I am this and, and, and this is unfolding exactly the way that it should, the more that I actually realise that I get less affected by things. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Because it's the push-pull of wanting to hang on to what we want and push away what we don't want mm. is the cause of all our dramas. You know, we don't like something, so we push away from it. Mm. Or we like something, we want to hang on to it. Yeah. And both are doomed to fail. Yeah. And again, they're recreating separation. Yeah. Not this, I want this. Yeah. I want this, I want to hang on to this. And that push-pull... It's underneath all suffering. And when you start to see that, hang on, everything ebbs and flows. It goes full new new moon, summer, winter, up, down. That life is always unfolding and moving and just flowing with it and being with it. Of course, suffering, angst, drama starts to fall away. Right. Does it disappear or is it just backgrounded? Well, it's always there. Right. And this is an important thing because people, people get into this stuff thinking they can be free from suffering. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. They, they'll be in some sort of high detached space, unaffected. That's, that's another fantasy. Right. That's another projection onto what enlightenment is supposed to be. We're talking about simply being with everything as it is. Mm. So, of course, in one sense, nothing changes. Right. Yet everything changes because of the way we view it. Ah, this is. Ah, this is happening. One of the most useful mantras is, ah, there you go. That's all right. Ah, there you go. I've developed my own, which is so be it. Yeah. Which does sound negative, I must say, but it's not. Mm. In the same sense, it's so be it. And just seeing everything just arising and falling. There's a there's a beautiful um, metaphor of seeing this mind as like a magical mirror, because this intelligence that we are has this extraordinary capacity to spontaneously record everything that ever happens in our life, mm. every thought, every feeling, every internal dialogue, every everything we view. Mm. is spontaneously record, stored to disk. And it is spontaneously replayed through some stimulus, either external or internal. 
we've all had that experience where we smell a smell we haven't smelt for a long time and mm. immediately we're back there in the, in the field on the farm. So that natural mm. phenomena of association simply happens. Mm. It's neither good nor bad. That's right. Now, there's an interesting image here that what, what is spontaneously kicked up is a trace. It's not the thing itself. It's just a trace of it. Yeah. Like when a plane flies through the sky and leaves a vapour trail, just a trace. Mm. And left alone, that vapour trail simply dissipates into the air. Mm. So these thoughts, these memories, these images, these feelings and sensations that get kicked up spontaneously, left alone, they simply dissipate, mm. fade away like the vapour trail. Mm. It's only when we buy into them yeah. that we start to recreate them and making them new again giving them life by our, our attention. Yeah, I think it's like believing that something is wrong, like a negative uh, feeling or whatever. It's amazing how strong that image of the plane in the sky with the vapour trail is in my mind. Like it's, I can really see that. It's a beautiful image. Yeah. Yeah. So... The more that we realise that everything is unfolding exactly as it's supposed to unfold, including good and bad, those concepts of good and bad themselves start to dissipate. And that's where you find oneness. Well, you are oneness. And um, the key is to actually just, you know, one hint is to live as spontaneously as you can. You know, there's no special way of waking up. There's no special technique or process or method. Yet... Um, being as authentic as you can be, living as spontaneously as you can be, being open, present and available to whatever is arising is a good starting point. Mm. Uh, and the funny thing is people search for enlightenment and the very search itself can be the obstacle. Yeah. Because enlightenment is seen as some future goal, some ideal state that we're not. Right. So we create a separation of how do we get from here to there. And that, of course, is always doomed to failure. Yeah. And rather than seeing it as some future goal, see that what you're looking for is here. Yeah. Because it can only be ever discovered presently. 
So what you call enlightenment is always simply arising here. And whatever is arising is it. Including the, the doubts, the fears, the certainty, uncertainties, the anxieties. That's how it's unfolding and arising. Yeah. And seeing, when you see everything as that, you start to glimpse what's being pointed to here. Yeah, I think it's a, initially it's a tough pill to swallow that the arising of a wa- awkwardness, for example, or the arising of confusion is actually it as well. Because mm. mm. non-dual, not two, yeah. not separating. Again, I think it comes back to that idea that there'll be some exotic state that you reach where mm. the negativity disappears. But mm. And see, we're not talking about a state. Mm. What we're pointing to is that presence, that mm. awareness that you are. Mm. That so it's not temporary, right? Yeah. Well, this this sense of this sense of presence is not temporary. Right. You know, like the question before, go back five years, go back another five years. That presence is always here. Yeah. While the content changes and the Opinions and attitudes and stories and images change. The presence is ever is ever present. Simply here. And you can, if you just look around you, the proof of non-separation is always is always here because. Wherever you are right now, if you look around you, if you're inside, look around at the, in a room. If you're outside, look at the buildings or if you're in nature, look at the, the trees or the fields or the park. Whatever objects that are in your field of vision, you cannot separate any of them. You can't take one from the totality. Mm. What you only ever see is totality. Mm. And similarly, the sounds that are in the, in the present environment. Whether it's the sound of the fridge, the barking of the dog, or the, the noise of the traffic, you cannot separate those sounds from the visual image. What you see is totality appearing in this form, and it's un- inseparable. So the proof of what you're looking for is always in front of you. There's an old saying, uh, see everything as that. There's a traditional story about a man who went to his teacher who, who told him just that, everything is that. And that information had such an impact on him that he walked back home to his village saying to himself as he walked, everything is that. Everything is that. Everything is one. Everything is that. And as he walked, villagers were running towards him, yelling and shouting, and he looked at them and said, everything is that. Everything is that. And as he got closer, they were yelling, get out of the way, there's a wild elephant. And he just <laughs> smiled and said, everything is that. Everything is one. Everything is that. Then he saw the element charging towards him, and he said, everything is that. 
because the elephant picked him up and threw him up in the air and bashed him against a tree. Days later, he was in hospital with a broken leg and two broken arms, and his teacher came to visit him, and he said, why did you tell me that stupid thing, everything is that? Look what happened to me. And he told the, his teacher the story. He said, well, why didn't you realise that the villagers yelling to you to get out of the way were that also? Because we selectively filter and just decide well, it's this and not that. Mm. Everything is that means everything. Mm-hmm. Non-dual, mm. not two. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, you find some hidden ones sometimes that you'll be uh, keeping aside or you're not aware. They'll be, they'll be the ones that are trying to change your experience, like these little thoughts or bits of conditioning or whatever it is. Mm. And then you sort of go, oh, that's it as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. There's that, yeah. there's that yeah. old conditioning. There's those habits. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. And just seeing things for what they are and letting them be. Yeah. So how much of this comes down to trying to change experience? We talked about pushing away the bad and trying to hold on to the mm. good. Is the ego or this sense of self is it fundamentally made of that which pushes away and tries to hold on to? Do you think that's, that's been my experience recently? Hmm. If you reduce it right down, this sense of me is, is simply a, a reference point, right. a point of view. And whenever we hold a point of view, there's a contraction, there's a funneling down. And the invitation here is to let go of that point of view and to widen. Oh, okay. You know, be all-encompassing. To, to just embrace, open up to, widen out. Because every time we hold a point of view, every time we hold a judgment or an opinion, we contract, we narrow. Right. I'm right, you're wrong. This way, not that way. It, what about uh, opinions and beliefs aside, just that point of view as being a like a perspective? Yeah. Uh, when you said that, it was um, that was really helpful. I immediately sort of felt myself, my experience expanding. Because mm. mm. I feel like I'm hold. I feel like there's a, I feel like I'm holding on to a reference point, a, mm. a perspective mm. there. Mm. And again, it's a habit, mm. the me habit. And it actually, me maintenance actually takes quite a bit of work. Yeah. Yeah. Just let go. It's, it's not necessary. Just rest. There's wakefulness itself, living spontaneously, intuitively, authentically. And whatever needs to happen simply happens, as it always does.
It's this fantasy of control that gets in the way. We're trying to make things happen to push. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you just lie around and you know, do me life because when effort's needed, it arises. Right. It always has. Right. And is that release of that reference point incremental or going to happen all of a sudden? I don't know. It's reference points always arise. Okay. They're quite, they're natural, okay. they're natural things. You know? So it opens and contracts yeah, of its yeah. own accord. It's just like, just to even leave this, without a reference point, we can't leave this room because we mm. need to actually go, ah, mm. here, door, there. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when we, it's the investment that's the point. Yeah, there's, there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a sense of me, a sense of separation. That's something that simply arises, but it's it's just not invested in. Uh huh. So yeah. it too <laughs> is that. <laughs> it's it. Yeah, of course. How could it be anything else? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I find it. That it, that it happens when I'm at home, like after work and I'm resting. Mm. I find it much easier to release that tension, that, that tightly bound perspective mm. and in, in that re- relaxation. Mm. Yeah. But I f- at, yeah. wo- at, at work when I'm busy, I'm, I'm very much a reference point. No, that's, and so what? It doesn't sure. matter. Yeah. Just, just be easy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Whatever's happening is what's happening. Because yeah. otherwise it's implied like it's, there's something subtly wrong about the way you are at work. Yeah, okay. Um, it's, just, <laughs> yeah, it's just whatever's arising. See, that was another hidden one. Yeah, work is it also. Yeah. Because mm. it's, it's so much people often tend to go very internal. Yet... Um, there's no in or out. It's it's all the same. Also, see the world as as you. Just as there's no me with any independent existence, there's no world with any independent existence either. Right. Yeah. It's, it simply arises. It's always arising, fresh and new, appearing here. There's no other world than this one. And in that relativity, in that experience of right here now, that is all there is as well. So is there a deepening to this understanding? Is it? It appears to be. It's a, um, Are you still deepening your experience? Yeah. Yeah. yeah because you see everything new. And, ah, yes. So something that you thought you knew is seen 
anew. And this is as an appreciation. It's why would anything ever stop? See, there's no end point here. There's no destination. They're simply unfolding. 